This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Decoder Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts, or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. In six hours, my life went from complete contentment to complete chaos. And that period of hearing refusing to accept, accepting, you know, preparing. You know, the grief started there. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Trying to sweep the poor little widow under the carpet. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Since your ex-boyfriend doesn't have a sense of humor, I can see why you dumped him. And need to talk about more. Take your hat off, boy, that's a dollar bill! I'm Anna Sale. Katie Couric was 41 when her husband died of colon cancer. She was back in front of the Today Show cameras a month later. Good morning, I'm Matt Lauer, and nothing makes me happier than to say, along with Katie Couric, we missed you. Welcome back. Thank you, Matt, for all your support. I just wanted to say a few things about my absence. Many of you know that I lost my husband, Jay Monahan, my loving and beloved husband, last month after a courageous battle with colon cancer. I just rewatched your first broadcast after his death when you returned Mm -hmm. to the Today Show. Have you watched that recently? No, mm -mm, but I remember it. I can tell you everything about it. And I, and I remember, I remember what the sentiment was about so many people going through this similar experience. And it, it, it does put you in a, an al- alternate universe. For all of you who may be struggling with a life-threatening disease right now and wondering how the world can keep going business as usual, just know that my heart goes out to you. It's almost this um, underground society in a way. And I wanted to reach out to those people and say, I'm in the land of the living, but I know what it's like to be in the land of the almost dead or the land of the dying. Katie's husband, Jay, died nearly 20 years ago now. She was a single mom to their two daughters for 16 years. She married her second husband, John Molnar, in 2014. It's funny, because both of them are John Pauls. He's John Paul Molnar, and I and Jay was John Paul Monahan. I thought about if I ever got a tattoo, I would get a JPM on my ass. <laughs> 
And I actually don't like needles or pain, so I probably will never do it anyway. But I thought if I did, anyway, what were we talking about, Anna? (laughs) This is a sort of big question, but I'm wondering, how does marriage feel different for you at this stage of your life after spending so many years unmarried? Well, I think it's, it's um, you know, obviously I'm in a different phase of my life. So it's a little, I mean, I think it's building a life together, but in a different way under different, different circumstances. You know, the horizon isn't quite as far as it was when I married Jay. You know, we had children together. Our careers were kind of growing together. I was a local news reporter in Washington when I met him. He was a young associate at a very, you know, fine law firm in Washington. And um, and so we just had, you know, the whole world before us. We had never bought a house together. We had, you know, it was sort of these firsts that were very exciting, but also a lot of challenges because suddenly I catapulted into this job, which I never imagined in a million years I would get. All of a sudden, I was on a magazine cover. It was like, what? This is insane. And I think that was hard for Jay, and it was hard for me, and it was hard for us to kind of wrap our heads around and deal with. And no matter what, you know, I think it is harder for men a little bit to suddenly feel like they're in someone else's shadow. And Jay was a very proud, you know, hugely intelligent, and it wasn't like he liked to be in the background. He liked the spotlight, too. When Katie got the Today Show job, she was 34 years old and pregnant with their first daughter, Ellie. She and Jay had their second child, Carrie, four years later. My hours on the Today Show really afforded me a lot of time with my girls. So, you know, I could get home most days around 1 o'clock. I remember Jane Pauley once saying that the Today Show is the perfect job if you have children because... Yes, you miss making them breakfast, that's for sure. And Jay used to get Ellie dressed and braid her hair. Well, maybe not braid it, but try to comb her hair and uh, (laughs) walk her to school. Some of my favorite photos are with Jay, and Ellie has her little backpack on, and they're walking to school together, and he's making sure she doesn't step on the cracks. And, uh, And then, of course, he got sick. At first, it was the diagnosis that really came completely out of the blue. And, you know, and I remember everything about that day. And then Jay was sick for nine months, and that was excruciating. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can ask me anything about it, but it's just, uh, it is so... It is so painful. Did you have an opportunity to ever fall apart? Oh, yeah. I fell apart all the time. But I fell apart when I was in my office. I I really tried to not fall apart in front of Jay. And I think, you know, looking back on it, there's probably a lot of dishonesty, you know, about the the whole thing. I did try to follow his lead. He wasn't one of those people who wanted to learn everything about his disease, his prognosis, and, 
I think I overprotected him. And, you know, when the cancer was all over his liver, I tried to say, oh, they're just shadows and we can get it. And I encouraged the doctors to not tell him how incredibly bleak the prognosis was. Because I think Jay was a little more of a sort of darker and a little less glass half full than I am. And I don't know, I didn't want to ruin the time he had left with just hopelessness. Is there anything that you think back in that time of your life that you wish you'd done differently? Yeah, definitely. I wish that I had had the courage to really talk to my husband about the fact that he was probably going to die. And I just, it was too, it was too terrifying. It was too terrifying for me to admit, and I think I felt so protective of him. And, you know, that wasn't really, that wasn't really my responsibility. Hmm. You know, I think, you know, I think that prevented, that sort of cockeyed optimism prevented me from ever really, you know, saying goodbye. You were basically at the pinnacle of, 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 of broadcast journalism when you became a single mom. Mm-hmm. But did having that responsibility of, of being the only one to provide, did that change the way you thought about what you needed to earn and, and what the role that work needed to play in your life? I, first of all, was really, really happy that I had that job because I think it's very important for women to be financially independent because you never know what's going to happen. And I have thought that um, if I had stopped when I was pregnant with Ellie and decided I was going to, you know, be a stay-at-home mom, which I have a lot of respect for stay-at-home moms, but I don't think it's a great necessarily insurance policy for, you know, unforeseen events. And, you know, I had to adjust and in some ways embrace a new normal because my daughters were six and two. How did it work? What was your child care situation? I had a fantastic caregiver slash wife <laughs> slash co- co-parent. Um, you know, the words that exist don't really seem to you know, uh, I think do justice to everything that Lori Beth, who I hired, did for me and for my girls. I remember she taught Carrie to recite My Life is Like a Loaded Gun by Emily Dickinson when Carrie was like four years old. And she did the, it's so funny. No, but it was great, you know, and, and I just couldn't have done it without her. A lot of times she was the bad cop. I remember she Walked out, walked down the street when Ellie and her teenage friends were, you know, going somewhere looking really slutty, and maybe a few were smoking cigarettes. And basically, Lori Beth, you know, yanked Ellie and said, "Get back in here," and <laughs> sent her back to the apartment. And you know, she was just, she was my co-parent. She really was in every, 
in every way. I like that. I like the weight by calling her a co-giver and a co-parent and a wife. <laughs> yeah. Well, she she was wonderful. It was a weird story, you know. I uh, I I hired her, and she later, about six months later, told me this is like a weird story, and I don't know if people listening to this believe in stuff, but she said that before I hired her that she woke up in the middle of the night one night and she saw a figure at the foot of her bed. I know you guys are probably thinking this is so weird. No, go there. Tell the story. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. She said one night she woke up in the middle of the night, like bolted up out of her bed, and there was this like this filmy figure at the foot of her bed. And the person said, please help Katie. Oh. This is crazy, right? So she got a call from her agency. She had another job. And um, I interviewed her. I think I met her at the playground. And then we went home. And I basically said, why don't you guys spend some time together? Because I thought, well, let's see how they hit hit it off. And so she went into Ellie's room, and they were playing, like, computer games. And she looked up at Ellie's bulletin board. And she said, not to Ellie, but to herself, that's the person I saw. Was it a picture of Jay? It was a picture of Jay. And we, she told us this story, and we we're like, do 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 do. Coming up, I'm not very good at alone time and just sort of being. Katie talks about getting older and resisting the pull to slow down. Maybe deep down inside, I'm afraid of being still, and I'm afraid of just being alone and just um, having that time because I don't know what I'm afraid of, but that, that may be one of the reasons I stay so busy. It was interesting putting together these two episodes back to back. Last week's with Rachel Ward about being a widow in your 30s, and then this week with Katie Couric. Rachel's husband died suddenly. Katie's husband faded over several months. Rachel's been sorting out her grief for four years. Katie, for 19. And we heard from a lot more of you who are mourning after we put out Rachel's episode. Hi, Anna. I'm writing because I just listened to the latest podcast. I lost my wife in May from cancer, and I could relate a lot to what Rachel had to say. This voice memo came from Doug from outside Providence, Rhode Island. I understood her thoughts on dating. It's weird. Everything is weird, really. Going to a store and back to school shopping for my kids, seeing a movie, walking on the beach, it's all weird. I can't explain it any other way than it's a feeling like the one when you're leaving your house and you feel like you're forgetting something, but you just don't know what. We've been getting responses about starting over after death, alongside advice questions from people in their 20s who are just beginning their adult lives. And a lot of the sentiments are the same. You feel awkward and don't know what you're doing. Some of this gets easier as you live through it, but it also helps to ask for advice from someone who's been there. 
people in your 20s keep sending in your life advice questions. We've been getting a lot of emails, but send in more voice memos. Record yourself with your voice memo app on your smartphone and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. We're collecting these questions for our live show at the Work It Women's Podcasting Festival in L.A. on October 4th. Ticket information is on the Death, Sex, and Money Facebook page. Two Dope Queens and Another Round will also be doing live shows. And on our next episode, I check in with Another Round co-host Tracy Clayton, who told us about her long list of New Year's resolutions back in January. You know, at the top of the year, you know, you've got, like, hope (laughs) and energy you know like it's the slates being wiped clean and now you can do anything new year new you um i'm in a much different place today (laughs) than i was at the top of the year this episode is brought to you by fail better david duchovny's new podcast with lemonada media On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there.
This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Katie Couric was reported to be among the highest-paid people on television while she was at the Today Show and after she moved to CBS to anchor the evening news. But she still considers herself thrifty. You know, I could I could loosen the wallet a little bit, Anna, and and spend more. But I also had that bag lady thing. And by the way, P.S., I hate ostentatious people. I hate people who have to kind of present themselves and remind you how how wealthy they are. I find that so repulsive. What do you enjoy spending money on? Experiences. I'm very millennial that way. <laughs> you know, um, I thought really, you know, I just, I don't really love stuff that much. I do like clothes. I do like deals though. I don't like spending a lot of money on, on things. I think it's really because I, um, I like value and, you know, it's it's not that I'm that that frugal. You know, I have a really nice apartment. I bought myself a house in East Hampton about ten years ago. Uh, you know, so it's not that I don't spend money. It's just that I want want to be smart about it. Katie left her latest job as an anchor for Yahoo News last month. She's working on documentaries and hosts a podcast. Her husband, John, spent his career in finance and is slowing down now. That's another way her second marriage feels different from her first. I think, you know, we're both at a phase in our lives that he's worked really hard and now he doesn't want to work so hard. I'm the crazy one who still wants to work hard because it's just in my DNA. But, you know, we think about things that we want to do together. And, you know, we have tussles and uh, arguments sometimes, or, and I'm very bad. I always, you know, clam up and I'm very passive aggressive. And I, you are, I, I just don't talk. Well, I'm not as much, pa- I'm just sort of passive or aggressive probably. <laughs> and I just, I kind of clam up and I, I give the, I give the silent treatment, which is so bad and immature. And, you know, and some, you know, so we kind of work things out in a more mature way. We have, Obviously, our kids we care deeply about, but we don't have the day-to-day kind of structure of taking care of kids, which actually I miss because that does give your life a certain rhythm when you're taking care of kids. Was it intentional to wait to remarry until they were out of the house or nearly out of the house? No, I mean, it wasn't It wasn't really intentional, you know. I— uh, I was very open to sort of finding a father figure for for them, finding a partner for me. Um, it just happened that, uh, you know, the relationships that I had while they were little weren't right for the long term. You know, I was sort of, in some cases, hoping they would be right, but for a variety of reasons, they weren't. And... Um, I'm so glad I didn't make a mistake and get into a relationship that that wouldn't have been good for them or good for me in the long run. I'm a very traditional person, so I loved being married to Jay, and I wanted to be married again. My parents were married for, gosh, gosh, 68 years, I think. But I wish I had met John earlier. Now, he's got two kids, and I got two kids, obviously, and I think blended families are tough, especially when they're younger. And in a way, 
we skip that step. You know, when kids are grown up, it's a little less uh, cohesive, you know? Do you feel like a stepmother? A stepmother? No, not. I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm an additional adult figure in Allie and Henry's life. And that, um, you know, sometimes it's hard for me because I'm the only parent, right, for Ellie and Carrie. So I feel probably, I, I probably over-parent them. I feel very, very, very connected to them because we're sort of the three musketeers. Mm-hmm. And there's not like another person who's helping them. So, you know, Allie and Henry are lucky. They have their mom and their dad. So I think, you know, I sometimes probably overemphasize my kids. I noticed that you had a milestone birthday this year and turned 60. I did. And has there been anything that's surprised you about being 60 that you didn't Uh, expect? I think how hard it's been, actually, for me to turn 60. I think for whatever reason, you know, who knows what goes on in our weird little heads, 60 has been a much tougher birthday for me than 50 was. And I don't know whether it's you can rationalize that 50, well, you know, half my life is over and maybe I'll end up on the Smucker's Jar for the Willard Scott birthday announcements, which I don't think even does anymore. But, you know, <laughs> 60, I think, you know, you double that and you're like, oh, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to be toast by then. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's been a lot, a lot harder and a little little depressing for me, although you would never know that from my Instagram. (laughs) Do you, is it a sense of running out of time or is it a sense of being afraid of of becoming irrelevant that comes with age? I think uh, it's running out of time. I think um, it's not so much the irrelevant part because I think now there's so many ways to be relevant, whatever that means even. But I think it's sort of – I lost my both my parents. I lost my mom uh, two years ago. My dad I lost in 2011. Um, and I think it's the whole idea of not having parents, of being the oldest generation in your universe and just feeling like the the march of time is, is – continuing and there's just not a whole hell of a lot you can do about that and and it's scary honestly yeah you you mentioned that this is not something that's evident in your Instagram feed and, mm-hmm. and I, I did notice looking at your Instagram you appear to have the most fabulous life you are either with your very good looking husband your <laughs> your grown daughters or with celebrities or you're on a beach <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't this true? You know, once in a while, my husband and I were talking about this. You know, wouldn't it be great if if Instagram was more unvarnished? You know, you can show all these beautiful moments in your life and give people the impression that you're a fairly one-dimensional happy person when the truth of the matter is it's much much more complicated than that. Wouldn't it be great to be able to share kind of shitty moments on Instagram. I know I did a selfie when I had the stomach flu a, 
a while ago, and I was in my bed. I felt horrible. I had thrown You'd up. You just thrown up on the street. Yeah, I read thrown in the up captions. on the street <laughs> in New York. I mean, I had no makeup on. It was, honestly, it was not a pretty picture. And the story was so funny because I had really, I'd been in an event and I left early because I really wasn't feeling well. And I ran to the car and I realized I just wasn't going to make it, threw up all in the curb of the street. And these two girls were like, are you Katie Couric? Like right after I, <laughs> right after I, I totally blew lunch, as we used to say. And I remember thinking, oh God, this is just one of those really scary celebrity moments. And I didn't know what to do, you know, because I always try to be nice. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm throwing up. You know, who knows what they might have thought? And I think. They were so like, oh, my God, what do we do in this situation that they felt the nicest thing to do was kind of to turn away and keep walking. Give you your privacy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Let me throw up in private. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing. That's Katie Couric. Her podcast is called Katie Couric. She's also the co-founder of Stand Up to Cancer, which she co-founded after her husband and older sister both died of cancer. It's raised more than $480 million for cancer research. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Thanks to Destry Sibley and Northwest College in Powell, Wyoming, for their help with this episode. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And don't forget, people in your 20s, we want your life advice questions. Send your emails and voice memos to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. I want to thank you so much for your time. I know there are a lot of demands on it. It's been fun. This was much better than the therapy session I went to this morning. Yes. <laughs> it's always good when you beat out the therapist. <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.